Hey, Nick. Hey, Jeff. What's going on? I'm getting ready to light up a Bishop. I just had a Gator. That's awesome. Aren't they great cigars? You know, they really, really are. You can pick up your own Bishop and Gator over at MartinezCigars.com. MartinezCigars.com? MartinezCigars.com has the Bishop and Gator in a variety of size packages. (laughs) Packages. You would like that, wouldn't you? (laughs) Anyway, head on over to MartinezCigars.com for the Bishop and Gator. This is David Garofalo from the Cigar Authority, and you're listening to the Cigar Pulpit, which is kind of like a takeoff of the Cigar Authority, but worse. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another sermon from the Cigar Pulpit. I'm the Bishop of the Vern, Nick, and with me as always... It's Gator. And today, we have part one of a very special interview. Yes. Part one because... The conversation ended up going three hours. I mean, it was, but it just, <laughs> it flowed. It was no, like, it, it was great. We're talking and all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, it's 10 o'clock. Yeah. It, it was a great conversation that we had with Dan, the man ponder of Riverman Cigar Company and Dave Garofalo, the owner of Two Guys Cigars in New Hampshire. And New Hampshire? I knew you were going to do that. And so. Uh, <laughs> what movie? What movie was that? You've told me this before. It's what about Bob? Yes. Okay. Um, anyway. Death therapy, Bob. So, yeah. So, Dave Garofalo of uh, Two Guys uh, Cigars and the Cigar Authority, he joined us, and we had a really good conversation with um, Dave and Dan to where we kind of framed this up as as a conversation retailer to retailer. They kind of just were able to talk about cigar retail and some of the challenges and issues and point, you know, high points, low points, whatever, all in between. And it just turned into a really, really interesting conversation. Well, and it's funny because Nick brought this idea up to me and I actually didn't know. I'm like, oh, you know, will that be engaging? Will that, you know, will people want to hear that? And I was riveted by it the whole time. Yeah. It was so interesting to hear these guys talk about the business and talk about strategies and different things that they do. And, you know, it, 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 guys, it's it's going to be three hours when it's all said and done over the two podcasts. It's It's so well worth the listen. I thought it would be good to do something different. Dave is a guy who's been around since he started Two Guys in 1985. He's obviously done his own show um, weekly, the Cigar Authority, weekly yeah. for 11 years. And so it's one of those things where, you know, there's a lot of information out there about Dave. He's done many, many interviews with other people. So it's kind of one of those, like, what can we bring to the table that's a little different? And I thought doing this would be different. I thought it'd be a little more interesting and something just a little more unique and it was i thought so yeah so so guys um we are really just going to be um highlighting that the next two episodes um in terms of what cigars we are smoking we're just doing smoker's choice because we didn't really feel that uh there was going to be much time to give a cigar its proper due and and you know review it and everything throughout the episode since we were going to be doing this and um so we're just doing smoker's choice i have a wonderful natural toro from long ash cigars in ybor city sitting here and i went with kissing the sponsor's ass (laughs) 
Martinez. <laughs> you do. You have the 45. I've got the 45. Little, and oh, my God, guys. If you haven't Augusto. smoked this 45. Yep. Oh, man. Martinez makes a mean stick. So, yeah. Why don't we go ahead and uh, get the cut going there. And the cut is brought to us by Riverman Cigar Company. As you guys are about to hear, Dan the Man, he takes his business really seriously. He oh, yeah. He does all kinds of... Uh, he, he's he's got a long career of being a business consultant, and his whole goal is to identify problems and find solutions. And guys, he's done that at Riverman Cigar Company in that he has cultivated that humidor with all kinds of wonderful cigars, meeting every budget from $4 to $100, all the way up to that sake unicorn. Um, we talk quite a bit in this interview about budget bundle cigars you know dan he, he it's important for him to offer the cheaper solutions for cigar smokers so that they can uh, balance out their dollar cost average exactly and and that's what i like to do especially on days when i drive and i'm smoking more you know i don't want to sit and smoke 50 dollars worth of cigars in one day you know i i end up feeling i have like buyer's remorse after the fact yeah but if i can mix in you know, a couple of Tatistans. Shout out to the fine people of Tatistan. Oh, and and or the Oscar, you know. Yeah. What is that? The uh, Plan, Plan B. B. Yeah. Yep. So, by the way, and the reason I mentioned those two is they're, because they're our Battle of the Budget Championship. They are coming round. up later this yeah. month with the championship of the Battle of the Budget. No, 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 champion. And uh, we'll have Trent on the show. And I'm looking he'll forward be, to that. He'll be our he'll be our third panelist to uh, give his input on. Just that. a reminder: Trent won that slot by having the best Christmas the song. Christmas song. So yeah, yeah, you're going to want to go back to the Christmas episode and listen to that. But and you'll understand why Trent's going to be on the show exactly. <laughs> but anyway, circling back to Dan the Man, you guys are about to hear why we call him Dan the Man. So I, you know, without a, without further without ado, further ado, yeah. it's time that we go ahead and. Cut the cigars. So, um, like I said, I just have a nice, uh, nice natural. They call it the Maduro Toro. Actually, they say they have a Connecticut and a Maduro hmm. at uh, Long Ash. If I mean, I guess maybe in the grand scheme of what they have, it's a Maduro. But like, wait, no, you've got that in your mouth. I'm not letting you use my cutter. Oh no! <laughs> I was like passing you my cutter, but I was like. Whoa. No, 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 buddy. No, no, no. Guys, he just got out this big pocket knife, and he was like looking like he was going to take a swing at the cap with it. But the problem is, the way he was swinging it, that blade was going to be coming right at me. <laughs> so, yeah, no. No, no, no. Made you look. Anyway, they say they have a uh, Maduro, but I'm not going to lie. It's, it's, if this, it's darker than the Connecticut, but this is not Maduro. I mean, or it doesn't. It's not the darkest Maduro I've ever seen. I would I've say, seen. quite frankly, I, if I was to look at that cigar, not know anything about it, sun-grown. I would think it was a sun-grown Connecticut. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's got that kind of like medium kind of brownish hue to it. Yeah. It's not darker. No, it's not darker. But anyway. But a good stick. Very and good again, stick. I'm smoking the 45. It's the first cigar we ever had from Martinez, mm-hmm. and it's still, even though we have the Bishop and Gator, the 45 is still, you know, up there in my top four oh, or five well, yeah. cigars I mean, so it's a it's a personal favorite by the way huge congratulations to the fine folks at martinez cigars and um myself you know because i approved it what did you do um mark at the straight cut has named the bishop the newcomer cigar of the year 
Holy crap. As part of their uh, year-end cigar awards. Wow, Mark. So, that's awesome, dude. So, Mark, thank you so much for the kindness of naming the Bishop the Newcomer Cigar of the Year. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm honored. I'm, I'm, I'm what, so honored. What happened you, to the gator? You, you like me. You, you really, really like me. Thanks, Sally Fields. I know, right? I wonder if Mark's wife's still mad at me over that whole pasta thing at the restaurant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I was handing a bag to David Martinez. Yeah, that's that's what happened to the Gator right there. Yeah. So Jeff Jeff does this thing. He's handing this plastic, you know, kind of like a plastic grocery bag. It was the to go bag for, for. I'm sure we've talked about this before. But it's still funny. He's handing it to Dave across the table at the restaurant, and he's just <laughs> hit, he's like that Geico commercial. With the fishermen or whatever, it's like, oh, you almost got it, you know. And I think it's State Farm, actually. Whatever. Anyway, the point is, you're 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 like holding that bag just out of reach, and he's like fumbling for it, but you're like leaning across the table in front of everybody. Mark's wife was not amused. She was not feeling. Yeah, no, she was not up for that. Oh, good times. And can you blame her? I'm annoying as hell. Yeah, she picked up on that. <laughs> It was amusing. I just blew my flame out when I started laughing. It was amusing to me. So, <laughs> anyway. Well, guys, why don't we go ahead and jump into the interview here with uh, Dave Garofalo and Dan Ponder. And we will uh, we'll go for, with that for a little while. I'm going to find a natural breaking point in the conversation. And uh, then we'll we'll come back and we'll, we'll wrap this show up. And You now sit here and enjoy some cigars. There you go. Love it. Well, guys, we are joined by Dave Garofalo. He is the owner of Two Guys Cigar or Two Guys Smoke Shop or Two Guys Cigars. Both. Both. Okay. And in uh, uh, New Hampshire, and then he also New Hampshire. Uh, I knew you were going to yeah. do that. <laughs> and then also, he is the host of the Cigar Authority. Dave, it is such a pleasure for you to join us. Well, it's it's my honor to be here. Uh, yes, I have uh, listened to your show many times. I find it very comforting and um, because it's very familiar to me. Your show, for some reason, is familiar. I mean, you know. It feels like home. And uh, you two guys uh, are a cross between the three of us. Uh, You know, and and I see the similarities of what's going on here. And it could be a coincidence, but very familiar. I take that as a compliment. Well, I yeah. was going mean, mean, to say Dave should. It's flattery, you know. It's... Well, yeah, I mean, we we have been totally upfront and honest about totally ripping off the cut. Yeah, I mean that that yeah. that that we have just unabashedly said. You know, this is our our homage to the Cigar Authority. But in terms, please take it all, take it all. It's not a problem at all. We're, we're well, busting out the cowbell next week. I... <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, but in terms of the rest of it, I mean. My elevator pitch for the show has been that Gator and I are just two morons with microphones that happen to be smoking cigars. So, you know, it just kind of works out. Well, it's good. Whatever, whatever's going on, the dynamic is good. I'll tell you, your vocabulary is better than ours. I'm sure you spell better. You guys are in the newspaper business. Don't I'm bet sure on that. Don't, do not bet no. on that. Don't bet on that. Spell check is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Now, now, Nick, okay. did you also mention our co-host? For I was today? just about to say. So we are joined by Dan Ponder. He's the proprietor of Riverman Cigar Company in Crestwood, Missouri. And we thought it would be fun and interesting because Dave. 
you've done a lot of interviews. Aside from the fact that you've done, what, 11 years, almost 11 yeah, full I mean, years of the wow. Cigar Authority? Yeah. People know you. Between your various interviews and everything else, people know. They know your story starting two guys in 1985. Good man. There Good. you go. And, and uh, just everything that's come along since then. And we thought this would be, rather than, you know, rehashing the Dave Garofalo greatest hits, we thought this might be more interesting to bring in another cigar retailer. And let's have a conversation retailer to retailer here. Let's, let's, let's dive into the, the retail side of things and really, really like get a little bit of nuts and bolts going. Because you, you're a big advocate for brick and mortar and you do a I lot am. of speaking, I know, um, as to how brick and mortar owners can help improve their shops and so i think this would be a really good opportunity so so dan you can take it away whenever you're ready well thanks uh nick and gator and dave it's a real honor to uh talk to you today i you know before uh i took over the shop uh i started getting an inclination that i was going to get into the cigar business after being in environmental consulting for about 30 years traveling the world going to probably worked in 20 different countries uh five continents so i'd always make my way into a cigar shop overseas. And um, one of the questions I'll kind of start with is when I first started doing it, maybe 20, 25 years ago, I never saw anything but Cubans in all these international cigar shops. You know, they're mostly, a lot of them were uh, Casa del Habanos and things like that. But more recently, and more recently is like five years ago when I retired from consulting, I started seeing the New World cigars in some of these uh, cigar shops, whether it be... um, uh, England, or when I was in Singapore, or even down, I think I saw them down in Brazil, and places like that. So I know there's been a cigar shortage this year somewhat because of COVID and the reduction in the um, in the factory uh, capacity and things like that. But yet, uh, and then on top of that, I know FDA um, was, uh, was really putting the screws on the industry, and that's kind of faded away a little bit. I know it's hanging out there. But I was just wondering, do you think that the New World cigar manufacturers will continue to maybe go to the show in Germany and promote kind of a their cigars internationally, either a hedge against the U.S. or do you think, or do you think that's kind of subsided because of FDA? Because it's one thing to have a cigar shortage here in the U.S. Uh, in the same type time, see uh, articles and read about how these uh, cigar New World cigars are, are expanding overseas. So I guess that's the question. Well, okay. I got you. Uh, Dan, nice to meet you. Yes, sir. Uh, five years in the business now? Five years? Well, I'm, I'm coming up on year three and um, okay. and uh, two and a half. Uh, what, what happened was is um, I was in consulting. My father passed away. Um, I moved back home after 25 years to St. Louis. Uh, was all over the place for a while. Uh, my mom has a, a condition where uh, she, uh, I need to stay with her. So I'm really a stay-at-home son. A friend of the family, the short stories, friend of the family came and wanted to get out of the business after 80 some odd years old. My mom and dad happened to be in high school with them. So we worked out a deal where I, um, where I was able to take over this business. So I started May 1 of 2018. And, uh, mm. but I had, but my cigar smoking started with Ron Lessero down in Houston, where I lived down there for 20 years, serious cigars. And which is a great store. So you, you learned well. Well, I started seeing all these guys come in like, uh, 
which I didn't know who they were at the time. This is early 2000s, 2000, I think one or two, and you'd see uh, Don Papin Garcia, and he'd be rolling baseball bats, and, and I actually won a, uh, a pipe that he rolled into a cigar one time, and then you would see, I, I, I saw Mickey just return back uh, uh, to yeah, the industry. I saw Mickey, he, Peg. Mickey Peg would show up. I think he was with CAO. At the, so some of that was a blur because I was just sitting in the lounge as one of the kind of first lounge customers when Ron opened up. Um, and but I'd see these guys come through all the time, and of course watched him get really, really busy, and saw him do his first annual event, and now it's turned into the Texas Cigar Festival, et cetera, et cetera. So he took me on a, he took us down to uh, Dominican Republic, so in, probably in two thousand five or six, and I went to the Davidoff, um, Arturo Fuente, and the Lafleur um, factories. Each one was a separate yeah. day. Oh. You know, Wayne Suarez would take us to one. Lito Gomez took us to his, and I, I forgot who. Um, uh, with Davidoff was meeting us, and uh, we'd have lunch with the guys. Got to have dinner with uh, Don Carlos, uh, senior and junior, and he passed out his cigar yeah. and uh, the the his personal reserve. And then, sure enough, as a retailer, I get his personal reserve a box uh, a couple of weeks ago. So, it, it kind of putting the connection together. And then we'd go out to the Big Smoke a fair bit. Uh, and then I've been to the Great Cliff, uh, the mansion there in the Bahamas. I did an assignment in Bahamas. So anytime I was working, I was always after I got finished working my umpteen hours a day, I would try to find a place to have a cigar. That's wonderful. And Nick and Gator, see how he asked me a question and I went, I went right into asking him a question and I turned the interview around. I'm just, just showing you what's going on. Here, I, but, I like it. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just showing you some, some tricks of the trade after 11 years. How We're you all turn ears. Around and actually, yeah. <laughs> and not answer the question. But I remember the question. The question is uh, New World Cigars in other countries. And uh, a big reason why it started was because of FDA. Yeah. And you couldn't put out a new product. So the panic hit for these manufacturers, grandfathered in clause going back all the way to 2007. And some of these manufacturers that didn't even make brands before 2007 said, what's going to happen? Sure. So they hooked up with um, the importers in Germany and, and countries like that and said, let me see if I can get a foothold in here. And to be honest, you know, all of Europe doesn't add up to probably Texas uh, right. as far as the amount of yeah. sales that end up happening. But it's something that happened there. But as as it turned out, uh, people liked it on the other side. And, and magazines like Cigar Journal, for instance, um, bilingual European magazine, for the most part, that's where they started out, started showcasing these cigars. And the consumer wanted to try it. And they soon learned that these New World cigars, not from Cuba, were actually not just as good, but they were better at, at fairer prices. For they sure. drew good. They were aged tobacco, all the positives that went along with it. And I'm hearing from some of them over there that some of the stores that were almost 100% all Cuban are better than 50-50 now. It, it is starting to cross over to the other side. So it is one of the, let's call it, Four countries, if you say Dominican, Honduras, Nicaragua, the three majors, and Cuba. And you may see a shift that it ends up being the humidors start filling 25% of each country because there's a different taste for each one of these products. So, uh, yes, they are going to continue to do that, even though FDA has been pushed to the side. It is not over, it has been pushed to right. the side for now. We have a new administration. Uh, I don't feel good about it, but we'll see how it turns out. My fingers are crossed. But everybody ends up uh, having little insurance policies just in case. And that insurance policy is the rest of the world right now. Yeah, and makes sense. And that, that was the reasoning behind it, yeah. 
and that'll cause a little bit of uh, all the more reason why you always preach having a lot in inventory, all the more reason why buy as many cigars as you can now, because in addition to everything else, COVID, we also have over time, I guess we'll have more of a market share over in uh, the rest of the world, which will put a little bit of a strain on on uh, availability here for cigars, right? Yeah, they, these factories are 25% capacity. A lot of the ones I'm talking about now, they have plenty of tobacco, but they don't have people rolling the cigars. Uh, you, you've been seeing the uh, letters we've been getting in the mail, the little packages coming in of price increases. Uh, I expected that to happen, and it is. They're all coming in. They're either emails or, or packets in the mail with the price increases. I open them up today. Here yep. they are. Here's some more. Uh, some with a little bit of notice, some with no notice at all. You get the notice that says yesterday the prices went up, and uh, that's it. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no time to stock up. But, you know, I've been around this now 36 years in retail, and uh, I know how it plays out. And, uh, you know, part of our show, I, there's retailers that are listening to the show, so I try to talk to them at the same time and say, uh, history tells me that we're going to start seeing some price increases and things like that in shortages. So if I were you, I would start stocking up. And you, the consumer, you're going to pay more too. So, uh, you know, there's always the time to buy, sell, or hold. Uh, this is the time to buy, and that's not just because I'm a retailer. Sometimes it's not quite the time to do it, right. but now's the time. We're going we're gonna to have a shortage, and there's no doubt about it. Consumption's up, and inventory is down. It's the perfect uh, storm right yeah. now. Yeah. Dave, do you see, you know, I mean, I, I think, you know, I've heard online stores were, boy, I don't know, up 50, 100%, whatever those numbers were. You know, here at our store, we were up about 20% at the retail year over year. Of course, we're building back from uh, when it was uh, 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 during the old uh, uh, owner. But but still, we had a nice year over year a bump uh, with the lounge closed, you know, the majority of the year. I mean, because we've been under some mandatory countywide lockdowns and limited capacity. Right now, we're at 25% capacity in the in the lounge based on our operating permit. Uh, but I mean, do you see, uh, do do you see, uh, cigars, uh, this spike in cigar consumption because people were staying at home? We hear the customers saying that they're lighting one up with coffee in the morning while they're working at home, taking a lunch break. They couldn't do that while they were at the office. You hear a lot of companies saying, we're not, we're not going to bring you back to the office. We might just, uh, downsize the office and you might be able to work at home forever. Um, uh, not everybody, but some. I mean, do you think the spike, the bump that we most of us got in the cigar business this year uh, is going to stay or will it regress back to its normal um, year over year increase? Well, I, I am a guy that asks a lot of questions to my customers. When they come in asking me questions, I ask them questions uh, like, like I do in an interview, too. Uh, information is key. And we have a little thing in the store that um, frequent flyer miles, basically, we call them stogie points. And we're able right. to track a lot of information that happens. And I can see consumers uh, on paper, the consumer is smoking more. And then I would go up to them. And uh, as they're looking at cigars and stuff, talk to them. And I said, you know, just wondering, uh, while this craziness has been going on, have you been smoking more cigars or less? And they go, oh, my God, way more. I used to smoke one or two cigars a day. Now I'm smoking one to two cigars, a, I mean, a week. Yeah. And now I'm smoking one or two cigars a day. Right. And, you know, I have that time and blah, blah, blah. So we, we know cigars are a, a luxury that you put aside to have time with. 
and us crazy Americans running around like a hamster on a, on a wheel. Sometimes we don't have the time for ourselves, which is a cigar. Right. And the, the summer was fantastic because outdoor smoking. I'm in New Hampshire. Yeah. Very, very cold right now. And a lot of not, not outdoor stuff going on as, as it is with you. Um, in the summertime, my God, the consumption was up dramatically. And we saw, uh, you know, 20 plus percent in the retail store also sure. uh, that was happening. Uh, and, and it was consumption. My customer count, the amount of customers that came in was not dramatically different. It was where it was supposed to be. So the, the 20% actually came from the existing customer I had. A couple yeah. here and a couple there, yeah, but the majority was coming from the existing customer. Um, different than in the 90s when the cigar boom happened, it was at that time um, the amount of customers grew dramatically. The regular guy that was buying the cigars was still buying the same amount of cigars he bought before, but the cigar boom, all of a sudden, if we were dealing with 20 customers a day, next thing you know, we were at 60 customers a day. What the hell is going on? And there was a noticeable thing. I don't think yeah. that's what's happening. I don't know how many new cigar smokers happened because of this. I think the consumption is what's driving it right now. Yeah, I mean, we see that for sure as well. And Dave, I've, I've heard you throw your numbers around. We were seeing like... $23, $24 a customer pre-COVID, but at, during COVID, you know, $45, $50 a customer. People were grabbing more. Some of it was stay-at-home orders. They didn't want people out and about as much. People were grabbing more. But the other thing we did, and, and Nick and Gator went ahead and just put together a tournament of bundles. I don't know if you've listened to it or not, but they've had four or five shows right now where we took 16 bundle sticks from the from the shop here, which I went all in with the bundles. It was you know, I talked to the reps and they're great guys, but they were like, Dan, you're kind of out of your mind trying to sell these, these bundle sticks. But I've listened to you for four years now, a year before I got in the shop to prepare, I call it uh, continuing education credits. I figure like I'm, I'm going, <laughs> I'm getting uh, certificates from one of these days. I'll get a certificate in the mail that I've uh, listened to so many shows, but I learned so much from listening to you. And I know you're big on the bundles. You, you say in your annual, your 25% of your businesses is the bundle. And I was just thinking being a consultant, we had to identify clients' problems and then come up with a solution. So I've tried to apply some of that to the shop. Like I see a problem and I'm immediately thinking for a solution. When I was over in the Middle, Middle East working, it was interesting because the first thing people think about when there's a problem and my training is what's the solution. Their training was who to blame because <laughs> everybody was, everybody's trying to run for cover, right? So I would get called in yeah. to my boss and he was like, now he called me Daniel. He goes, Daniel, now we didn't do this, 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 or this, or this. I'm getting calls from, from the government. I said, no, no, sir. No, sir. Um, uh, Dr. Botter, we didn't do any of that. Okay, fine. Go back to work. So he wanted to first, he, I was trying to figure out how to solve the problem. He was trying to make sure his department wouldn't take, took, take the fall for it. <laughs> yeah. Cover their ass. Yeah. But, but well, we went in- I'm the same way. So you're going to be very successful doing that because you look at the, you look for the pain of the customer. What's the, what's their problem and have some way to solve it. Yeah. Right. You take the pain yeah. away from them with, with solving that. I don't want to spend that much money on a cigar. Uh, maybe the guy has enough money to spend. He just doesn't want to for sure. Well, we need to do, do I want to sell Atabay every single day to every customer? Yeah, yeah I do. Cause they're high end cigars and they, yeah. they add up and ring the register. There's no doubt about it, but it's not for everybody and everybody not some can't afford it period, but some of them that can't afford to choose not to do it. And look how niche we are to begin with. Anyway, oh, we're tiny, in the cigar tiny, business. Tiny. Yeah. 
How much more niche do we have to get to say it's only boutique or it's only Lanceros or it's only high-end cigars or it's only this? How about we, we sell cigars and we have a cigar for every ass, there's a seat for every ass yeah. and, and there's something for them. And if there isn't, I'm going to find something. Listen, we all can't carry every single brand name, right? but you should have a mild, medium, and full. You should have long and short, thin and thick, yep. and you should have all the price ranges. And if yep. you got something, there's something there for every person. And that's all we can do is provide customer service, right? How simple it sounds sure. um, and, and be able to give it instead of, um, we don't, we don't sell those kind of cigars. They're too cheap. Bundle cigars. We don't want to sell oh. bundle cigars. Oh my God. It, 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 if I only sold bundle cigars, I could just be fine yeah. because my bundle business is so well. Yeah. By the way, our biggest competition, which are these big mail order giants, some of them directly are suppliers that sell direct to the end user. Their biggest selling products are the bundle products too. Yeah. And they're out of low end cigars. That's just the fact of the matter. The the, the um, slot machine player at a casino spends the most money, not the guy in the in the uh, high rollers room. Gotcha. And the two dollar better, right? Is yeah. is uh, more than the people betting a hundred dollars, and that's the way it is. So um, eventually, maybe they'll they'll that bundle guy, and it happens every once in a while. It's his birthday, and he says. Let me try one of those $30 cigars. Sure. And it happens. That's it. And then he smokes it. And maybe he says, oh, my God, that other shit I was smoking is garbage. <laughs> I want to smoke the good stuff. Who yeah. knows? Who knows? But in the meantime, it's our job to provide a service to the customer and give them at least an opportunity to, to smoke cigars for whatever uh, budget that is. Yeah. So I would sit down. I, I hear you. It's like music to my ears, Dave. Thanks for sharing that. I, I would sit the reps down, being the new guy, you know, and I'd say, look, uh, especially with COVID, I said, these guys are smoking more cigars. I just hear it from the customer every day. Uh, we got to get something. This guy's got it. They need a three, $4, you know, $5 option. And you can't be, you know, a lot of people can't be doing four a breakfast, a lunch and a dinner or two three $20 cigars, $15, $10 cigars a day. And, uh, but I wanted the good stuff. I really wanted the good bundle, premium bundle, I kind of call it. So we got to 16 of them. We worked it around to all the various different, uh, uh, providers. Like the three by three is just a really nice Davidoff tube cigar. Um, sure. we got, uh, uh, we got a, a plan B from Oscar with, uh, um, with some really good tobacco. What I realized, Dave, was that, which is something you already know, is you kind of follow the tobacco. I kind of think of it like basketball, where my old basketball coach would say, keep an eye on the belly button. You know, forget about the arms, the mouth, and the legs. It's moving all over the place. But just if you want to defend this guy, keep an eye on the belly button. So for me, it's to keep an eye on the tobacco. So when I hear like, yeah, we got some extra from Avo, or we got some extra from some premium cigar blend, and we're going to put it into a into a bundle, I was like, wow, that's great. So I fire it up. I smoke it. The construction's good. And, and we, so we try to curate those premiums. And we're doing probably 20 25% is probably, which I think is a similar to your numbers, in our bundle business. And uh, Great. And I think and, – and people are going, you know, the Abco Miami, you know, and then people will get a Prinsado every once in a while or they'll get a, 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 a Blind Faith or whatever they might get. So, yeah, I could see traffic back and forth. But – I, I, I want to have that in our wheelhouse, and I, we also want to solve a problem of people smoking more cigars. They only have a minimum amount of money dedicated to to cigars. So that's the approach we took this year, and it's been successful for us. 
So I, I run all kinds of stats. It's the craziest thing. I'm like a statistician of cigars within my own building anyway. And I actually try to look at whatever information I can get out there in the whole world of cigars. But the, the bundle cigar smoker smokes a lot of cigars a day. That guy could smoke five or six cigars a day. Yeah. Where you take the high-end cigar smoker and he's a, a few cigars a week. And so you want to sell lots of cigars and you want to make lots of money. And we're in this business because it's a business too. Uh, I, I just can't believe that there's so many cigar stores that say, you know, I'm not going to be a bundle store. I'm not going to have that opportunity to them and pass that on so that the online giants can actually take it all. I think it's a mistake, Dave. I really do. And it is. You see them, you see them hidden. Like I'll go to a, when I travel, one of the things about traveling, and I've heard you talk about going down to Rhode Island and wherever, Miami. But when, when I travel, I also like to seek out that cigar shop. And, and I try to do some research because I'm going to be sitting there for a few hours. And I'm only going to be there for one day. And I don't want to make a mistake. So I really want a good experience. But lo and behold, when I go to some of these really nice shops around the country, they'll have a bundle. Typically, it's Quorum sitting in the corner, you know, and, and that's it. So uh, we've went in a different direction, Dave. Followed your yeah, lead. You and- went in the, yeah, you went in the right direction as far as I'm concerned. Uh, <laughs> and, and I have years of experience to it. Listen, I made a lot of mistakes. I, everybody talks about the stuff I do right. There's a, a ton of stuff I did wrong, but I try to do those wrong things once, learn from them, and then go on from, from there and uh, learn from other people too. Listen, it, it all didn't come to me either. Uh, I learned from my reps. I learned from the manufacturers. And I wish there was more of this because we can learn so much more because the only people that know exactly what I do is you. Yeah. It's the other retailers. Some of them hold it very close. They don't right. tell people the big secret. Oh, my God, I, I ran a promotion in my store, and I'm not going to tell anybody what it is. I am the opposite. You ever want anything to know, I'm happy to tell you I actually wrote a book and put everything in there. Let everybody know what, what they are, and anybody wants to do any of the things I do, please do these things uh, and help it because I am a strong believer on rising tides, raise all ships. Yep. I would love to see the cigar industry grow. And if it grows, I will grow with it. Uh, the problem is when the, when the industry goes down, I go down with it. Even if I'm doing all the things right, it gets very weird for people to buy cigars in a cigar shop. That's what I'm afraid of, that the online thing becomes so popular that what do you mean? You buy cigars in a cigar shop, you're getting ripped off. You're paying too much. You're not getting the deals. And right. all this thought process goes there. And that's not good for anybody that ends up happening. And I urge the cigar stores to have the low end product to be able to have there to take away that myth of the cigar stores only has expensive cigars in a cigar store. No, we have all cigars in a cigar store. There's, there's a price for everybody, not necessarily the same brand that's online, Maybe that's their brand or whatever, but right. we have an alternative version of it so that they don't have to go somewhere else. Yeah, and I've seen you've taken it to the next level where you're able to go down and you know buy a lot more at bulk, and you're able to get you know some ones that are just really made especially for you, and that that's a goal we'll eventually like like try to head to. But Dave, talking about your early days in the shop, you know, I you know I come from. I call it sitting on the couch. I was in the cigar lounge for maybe 20 years, you know, as a customer. And then all of a sudden, fate draws this thing. My dad passes away. The uh, My f- parents' family friend comes and says, do you want, want to uh, assume over a shop? And here I am. So now I'm in, in year three of this thing. But um, so people will come to me. I kind of work off the premise that everybody's sitting on the couch 
wants to get into the cigar business someday. It's kind of just a general, I know it's not accurate, totally accurate, but I think it's kind of accurate that everybody sitting there wants to be a rep. They want to own a shop someday. They want to go work for the cigar business and they want to leave their employer. And I, and I know, and I know, you know, that it's not as easy as it looks. And uh, Absolutely. So, so my question to you and if be- that's ha- it, Dan, if that's happening in your store, you're doing everything right. If you're making it look like it's easy and fun <laughs> and they have no idea what's going on the back, you're doing everything right. Well, thank you for that, Dave. But I, I, we're, I'm, I'm learning. And I, like I said, I'm listening a lot to what you've got to say. And, and, and then talking with Ron, although when I was talking with Ron, I was a customer and never thought I was going to get in the business. But boy, he, he did a fantastic job um, of building his shop. But I know, um, I know I've heard you talk before. Uh, Nick calls it, you have to take a vow of poverty for X number of years. I hear you talk about three years to break even, five years to get your money back, 10 years to be an overnight sensation, that type of stuff. And uh, you know what? It's true. It does take about three years to break <laughs> even. And hopefully it takes five years to get your money back. We'll figure that out in another couple of years and, and 10 years to be an overnight sensation. But we do it for the passion, don't we? And then it eventually, the thing I like about it is, if I lose the business, um, you know, in corporate America, too many of us people have walked down the hall and said, "Hey, it's time for you to leave." You know, and uh, by being a small business owner, you know that if you ever have to shut the thing down, it was because you didn't work hard enough, you made some bad decisions, and it's something that I think you can live with a little bit more than just some guy walking down the hall and telling you, "Hey, as a fifty-five, sixty-year-old guy, it's time to time to go home." So. I, I am attracted to small business in that regard because this is the last company I want to work for. I don't really want to go and right. experience that again after 28 years yeah. with a company and, you know, uh, it's time to move on. So I've enjoyed it a lot. I made it out to the show once um, and looking forward to going this year if we have it. But in those early days, I, I you know, I've listened to a lot of what you've had on, you know, with the Fuente show and some of the other shows, of course, you've, but if you could kind of maybe give us a little bit of indication about those i know the early days of when you were in boston seemed like you were kind of in survival mode the way you describe it but then when you moved to new hampshire it seemed like things opened up and there was a new experience for you uh and, and this is why i i am so open to other retailers and stuff yes when i was in boston uh i was a 25 year old kid and i opened a cigar store in boston and there were two giant cigar stores they were both over a hundred years old Wow. Um, there were institutions. There was the one that had the Davidoff store and there was the one that, that, uh, you know, was in the primo Boston location. And here I was a young kid. Um, and I had to get a terrible location, a small store, whatever I could afford, sure. little, little amount of money. And, um, I was going to market and promote and customer service my way to the top. That was, that was my way of doing it because I certainly wasn't, uh, the brand that they ended up having. Uh, I never belittled or talked negatively about them or anything. I just tried to be different than them, um, where they would be the cigar store that was kind of snooty to somebody that would come in. If you didn't know what you were talking about, they looked down to you. And I know as a customer, because I went in and I was treated badly and I said, okay, what I need is to be different than they are. Plus I'm I'm a different person anyway. I couldn't be that way to somebody Anyway, so I put the store together, and, and their way of competing against me was to tell the manufacturers not to do business with me, and if they did, they would stop doing business with them. Right. So talk about a struggle at the beginning. No Heavy-handed. cigar manufacturer. 
They then the manufacturer wouldn't open me. I would put calls into them to open direct with a manufacturer. They would have nothing to do with me. And it was a struggle. Uh, in years and years and years of that going, but I kept building and building as it went on until I, you know, they couldn't ignore me anymore. It started building. And then I opened a second store and a third store and I had three stores in Boston. These guys still had one store and, you know, how are you going to ignore me at that point? So we started getting some of it and, um, gotcha. you got to pivot though, along with the changes that end up happening. So one of the changes happened with taxation. And I tried to get them, uh, despite them not liking me, they never even knew me, but they didn't like me because I was a competition to them. And that's the biggest mistake because in New Hampshire, we have quite the opposite. We meet every single month, every one of our retailers uh, that belong to the organization, and we get together with the, with our lobbyists and we, we fight these things together. And after we're done, we have a cigar together and we shoot the shit and talk cigar business a little bit. And a lot of times it has nothing to do with cigars. but they are my buddies. They are right. my friends because uh, they, I, I can't talk to really, I can't talk to my customers about some of this stuff. I can't talk to my family about it anymore because they, they don't want to listen. <laughs> so there's nobody left. There's nobody left. Yeah. Like-minded to, to people. To have these conversations with. Yeah. And uh, we learn so much from each other and we help each other. And back to the rising tides thing, even locally, the rising tides thing really works out. Well, those retailers that were in Boston, most of them are all gone now um, because that's the way they wanted to play. I know there's restaurant associations and those guys get along with each other. And there's a restaurant next to another restaurant. But when it comes to cigar stores, I don't know what it is. Part of it, I believe, is back to what you said. The guy in the lounge wants to be, get into the cigar business. A lot of them don't have any business getting into the cigar business. They like cigars and they think I'll get into the cigar business. Like a guy that's, a, that's maybe a good plumber and says, I'm going to open a plumbing company. No, you're a plumber, not a, own a plumbing company. Yeah. And you're a cigar smoker or you're, you're a good cook, but you shouldn't own a restaurant. You should be the cook because there is this dynamic of both. And the ones that I saw succeed the best are people that came from corporate that understand the business end of it and then learn the cigar part of it, not the other way around. The cigar part can be learned. The business part, if, I didn't go to college for it. I learned the hard way, the expensive way. Yeah. Instead of paying uh, expensive tuition, I paid the real expensive way, which is the mistakes and costly, expensive mistakes. And with that came the education. That when I make the mistake, I learn, oh, my God, I can't do that again. That was too expensive because you burn yourself really bad a couple of times. You don't do that again for sure, hopefully only once. Um, so um, th that's that's the big part of it, what I, what I see. The guy on, in the cigar lounge believes that it's all um, – we go to work, we light cigars, and uh, – have a drink with the guys or have a cup of coffee with the guys. And, and at the end of the day, take the money out of the register and go home. Yeah. And it's far from that at all. They have no idea the back end. And if we're doing it right, they have no idea of the back end right. because they are, they are not interested in my problems. I have plenty of problems. I know they're not interested in any, so I don't share my problems, but I listen to theirs because I'm, I'm a good bartender, right? I listen to their problems and that's why they come back with a, with a smile on their face. Look how lucky we are at the end. Our customers come in with smiles on their face to give us their money. Yep. They're actually happy. 
they don't shop a lot of places where they're happy to go shopping. If they blew a tire and they got to put new tires on their car, there's not a smile on their face. No, but when upset. they come to the cigar shop and they could be buying a $250 box of cigars, they do it with a smile. So how lucky are we <laughs> that our customers love our product? It's awesome. It is. You know, and I, t- I take clips. Uh, and a matter of fact, I clipped that out from one of your shows and I show Cindy who's been here at this shop for 15 years. We've been in the same location for 12 years. The previous owner had it for 20 years before I had it. So uh, I guess in a couple of years, we'll be at 25 years in the business here. Uh, but uh, I'll, I'll take out clips from yours. And I remember specifically taking that clip saying, look, Cindy, you got to watch Dave. He talks about how uh, unique we are, that people walk in with smiles on their face. And we got to make sure when they come in, especially during COVID, we – we had to catch ourselves yelling at people like, get your mask on. You know, I mean, you don't want to walk in and startle people initially. Hey, how you doing? Do you mind if you don't have a mask? We've got a mask at the front door. We put hand sanitizing stations up all over the place. Now we got four in the store. I don't know why we never had them before, Dave, but we never did. But COVID, we put them in. Uh, we, we took little mini bottles of hand sanitation. We let people take them out the door with them. Complimentary because we want our people, our people safe. So there are some things, some good things that have come from COVID that uh, we're going to incorporate, you know, going forward. Uh, certainly the uh, the cleanliness thing, the hand sanitation, hand hand uh, uh, washing and things like that. Hey, Dave, when you started your first event, I know you got a very popular event now. You're at, coming up on year 35 or 36, your annual event. A lot of stores have that. And I know Ron had one. I was at his first one. He put a tent out in the parking lot. There was about 50 people out there at the beginning. I know now it's the Texas Cigar Festival with 600 and something. It sells out in a few minutes or whatever. Um, how was that first event? I mean, did you even call it your annual event when you first started? Or in hindsight, did you come back and circle back and say, oh, wow, that was our first big event that we had outdoor? And you must have been um, uh, – uh, and how many years was it before you had your first event? A big event, it like was- an annual event, you know. Yeah, I think it was seven or eight years. And I'll tell you, I put the first big event together because the first um, cigar dinner that ever happened, ever, was in Boston. And it was at the Ritz-Carlton. Wow. And I tried to go. And it was hundreds of dollars a ticket to go. And it was fancy wines and all this stuff. And I couldn't get a ticket. They wouldn't let me in. On the second year, I let them know right away, hey, I definitely want to go. And the second year came in and they said no to me again. So I said, wow, there's this big event going on. It was to, if, you, if you search cigar events, what the first cigar event ever was. It was in Boston at the Ritz-Carlton. Wow. This was the event. And uh, two years in a row, they wouldn't let me go, so I had to stop my own. That's what happened. Gotcha. And they forced me, they forced me to end up doing it myself. So uh, I had a customer um, who was a, a Boston celebrity, and I said, I'd like you – to be the guest speaker at my event. And I want to have, uh, celebrate uh, the seventh or eighth, I think it was the eighth anniversary. So 85, 93, and um, 1993. And, I, and he said uh, he would do it, and he gave me a ridiculous price of, it was either $5,000 or $10,000 in 1993. Might as well be a million dollars to me today. Uh, <laughs> I, didn't ha- I didn't have it, and uh, I didn't know what the hell to do, but I wanted to do it. And it was Red Auerbach. Do you know who Red Auerbach is? Yeah, was? I heard you tell this story, but I'm, I'm, I'm listening to every word you got to say because that's amazing. Five or 10000 back then was a lot of money. Yeah, you, and I know I saved the contract, so it, it's somewhere, but it was either five or 10000 And um, he said, okay, he would do it. And um, 
That was like I having God, it. right, Dave? That would have been like having God at your first event big, in Boston. It's a big deal, and I, and, and I believe it kind of really put us on the map um, that we ended up. He was a customer. He would come in all the time. Real pain in the ass customer, too. He was <laughs> very demanding of his Hoy de Monterey double claro, double corona. Uh-huh. So double Corona, like a Churchill size, double Claro wrapped in Candela twice and not an easy cigar to get that I would have to call Villazon was the name of the company at that time before it was mm-hmm. bought by General Cigar and have them sell me some because it was for him. And I said, please, you get me five boxes. So I have them here when he comes in. I don't want to lose them. Right. Uh, but that's what he want, wanted to have. And he was the guy that lit the cigar during the game when the Celtics were uh had enough that he could celebrate while the game was still going on. He would celebrate the victory and piss the other team off that he's already <laughs> celebrating a victory and the game isn't over yet. Yeah. And that was so your that was cigar, huh? That was your cigar from your shop. Yes. Wow. Yep. That's cool. So uh, he said, he said he would do it. And I promoted that show because we, at our anniversary parties, we give away fabulous prize right. every year. We've Trans-Amorian, things like that. Yeah. Rolls Royce, all kinds <laughs> yeah. of stuff. And that year, because people say, well, I can't give away a Trans Am or I can't give away a motorhome, which is what we're going to be doing this year. I didn't tell anybody that yet, so this is scoop. <laughs> hey, but, there you um, go. Uh, yeah, let me give you something, right? Um, <laughs> we'll take it. Yeah. Um, the first prize and how we advertise it was first prize was a box of cereal. That was the prize. And everybody scratched their head that, you know, it, it, I don't know if it was $100, $150 a ticket to go back in those days to a cigar dinner. Yeah. And first prize is a box of cereal. And we sold every ticket to the event. And everybody was curious what that was all about. And there was the box of cereal sitting there at the head table. And it was a box of Wheaties. And on the cover of sure. the Wheaties, that was Red Owlback. Oh, wow. So I, okay. I, that's how I introduced them to the audience that I said, here's the box of uh, Wheaties. This is going to be the prize. Somebody, some lucky person is going to win today. So uh, congratulations to whoever that is. But let's bring in Red Owlback to sign that box. Did people know when it, in the, Did people know in no, advance? Oh, wow. No. So he came in. He, he autographed the box of Wheaties. He went up and talked for about 45 minutes to the audience, sat had dinner with us and uh, it kind of like put us on the map because it was more of the after effect than the before effect. Yeah. What happened after the people that didn't go were so mad that they didn't go, but they didn't know. And that's what built us year after year. You don't want to miss this thing. You don't want to miss this. thing. Correct. You have no idea what's going to happen. You don't know who's going to be there. Uh, and you believe you're a believer at that point. Yeah. So how many people, people were there? Dave? Every- how many? 150, 200. Yeah, probably 150, 200 yeah. in those days. Now we, we get 500. We could probably do, you know, a oh, thousand yeah. or more, but yeah. we can't find a place that can, that's willing to hold us because we're obviously smoking cigars in the place. So we're, we're lucky as it is to, to have. Well, I've got it on my have. bucket list. I know Nick and Gator do as well. We want to get up there one day for one of them. And it's just, uh, it just sounds, uh, Sounds fabulous. So the, so that that cemented the annual, and then from there on, you've had one every year, and it's bigger and better every year. Well, we didn't have one last year, unfortunately. We, we planned on it, and uh, COVID said no, and that was a shame. So over the years, there's been a couple that, for some reason or another, didn't end up happening, and last year was one of them. Uh, planned and everything, but it, it just fell apart. And, um, you know, anybody that wanted their money back got their money back. 
that the majority of people said, if I hold my ticket, is it good for next year? And I said, yeah. So they held on to their ticket for a year and a half. Nice. Uh, just so they wouldn't end up losing their ticket. And, it, you know, it's something that, that builds on time. It doesn't happen overnight right. that it does it. But you over-deliver to the customer in every aspect you possibly can. Sure. And they will come back to you over and over. They, they know you're going to deliver. And um, it's not a profitable thing at all. I've The biggest one I ever did, I lost $50,000 oh at the my. event. I really overdid it. That was the worst I ever did. Uh, sometimes it works out and I make a few bucks. But it's really a marketing and advertising thing that people talk about it before, during, and after. And people all the way over where you are talk about it. You with, know? With, so without it, a doubt. It, without a doubt. Yeah. You know, I, I know you were talking earlier about your New Hampshire Cigar Association. When I first got in, the first year was welcome to the starting lineup. My old boss, George, used to tell me, welcome to the starting lineup, Dan. So here we are. I started in May. And probably within a month or two, it's rumored that there's going to be a, a voter ballot issue on um, stopping smoking in cigar shops in the lounges. So we were going to be we were going to be eliminated. It was the uh, it was these organizations. They spent nine hundred thousand dollars in our county and adjoining county to try to eliminate that uh, from the health organizations. So I sat there quietly for a month or two, but it's not really my nature to sit there quietly very long. So I started cold calling up these cigar shops thinking that somebody would take the lead well it didn't happen so i got people together i I talked to glenn loop at the cigar show in 2018 in the summer um at the old ipcpr and he was kind enough to come down so fast forward to january he comes down and we get 10 shop owners together some that were like within a block of each other that didn't like each other and it was kind of like everybody keep your weapons and swords at the door We'll have a we'll have a, a person there to check them in, and you can get them on the way out the door. But let's all come together, and it was a beautiful thing. We had a cocktail party the night before, uh, where people just got together and mingled with Glenn, and then God bless Glenn Loop. We're a big fan of his. He came down. He, we we got the next morning. We had some juice and muffins and whatever coffee, and we sat there and we talked about how we would come together uh, in when the need arised to protect the cigar shops in St. Louis area. So to the best of my knowledge, it was the first time everybody had gotten together. And so I see some of that, what you did. And we're still, we're in the process of trying to get that um, uh, put into a local cigar association and maybe golf tournaments like I know you have. And that's on my list and things I want to do going forward. But even when a new shop owner opens in the area, somebody will come in here and say, hey, I'd like to be part of the group. I said, well, we're kind of call each other together it's not a standing group right now, but at least we know that people will get back together and, and fight it. And fortunately, we were able to – we didn't really do anything from our side. It kind of – we kind of got a luck of – we just got lucky that the thing didn't go through. The people that were spending the $900,000, they they didn't do it right. They didn't fill the applications out right, and it got thrown out of the courts. But it did get put on the ballot um, on the um, – on election that that November, but it wasn't it wasn't valid. So we dodged the bullet. I think they've went away now during COVID, but I'm sure they're going to be back. So I listen to you a lot. I've learned a lot from you about how you just got to fight it every day. It's just nonstop. Absolutely. Imagine they were going to put close to a million dollars, and you know people say you can't fight City Hall, right? And you don't have that kind of money to fight them. Money isn't what does it. If you can get people, passionate people, to tell their story. And you're in that district because this this money is coming from other places, too. And you end up talking to your legislators. I hate politics. I hate it. 
but it's part of our business right. and I have to, I have to be part of it. And I'm a busy guy. I'm probably the busiest cigar retailer in New Hampshire. That's the sure. As far as I have so many things that I do, Yes. but I have to be the moderator. I have to bring it. If somebody else wants to step forward, I beg them to end up doing it. But if, if like you said, no, you're waiting for the guy to end up coming. If the guy never came, what do you do? Just sit back and do it? No, no. you have to do right. it. Right. Yeah. And, and I can relate I, to that. I tell, yeah. I tell the guys all the time, hey, I'm getting older. You know, get ready to step up. Somebody to jump in my spot. Anybody anybody want the spot, please do. And I'll help you along the way or something. I'm not – hopefully I'm not going anywhere. But Let's you never not. know. Yeah. Um, but if, if and when you stop fighting – that's when you lose. Yeah, they do. They do not stop. Some of them is, is government subsidized that they actually get paid. That's part of their job to actually fight these things. Your job is to sell cigars, right? So you have to actually leave your job to do it and to do this for nothing. Yes, they're getting paid to do it, so it's easy to end up pulling away from it. Or when things look like they're good and say, "Okay, things are fine right now. Uh, nobody's saying anything, so let's just forget about it." They're not stopping. It's still happening behind the scenes. So uh, having an organization is way better um, that um, they're vetted somehow into it, that they paid some sort of fee to be in it, and uh, it's formal. And if you can have enough money together to eventually end up having your own lobbyist, uh, we have our own political action committee, a PAC for fundraisers. uh, you know, how much money I gave to these politicians over years and years and years. And listen, I, I never told people or complained about it. I just did it because it was in my best interest. But a political action committee means we money gets put into there and then everybody's money is used to end up doing this, yeah. which, which is more fair anyway. And I think if people have something, they're vested into that, that they feel like they have, they have to know what's going on. And um, knowing what's going on is a big part of it also that, oh, I didn't even know w- once the tax happens and, and it gets voted, they didn't even know what was going on, even to the consumer level, that we need our consumers to know these things. And right. that, that's what Cigar Rights of America was all about. It was supposed to be the consumer-based organization, but unfortunately, it got fu- and ended up getting funded by manufacturers and retailers because there wasn't enough consumers to get engaged. Right. But part of that is the problem of the brick and mortar store, not informing the retail, the consumer that, listen, Hey, you know, join the organization. Um, the, I believe the largest, um, uh, cigar rights of America, the, the most, uh, consumers they got to end up joining cigar rights of America. And Glenn can uh, tell me if I'm wrong on this, but I believe it is true. It was this, uh, cigar authority that drove more Wonderful. people, to join that organization, which, listen, that's what it's all about. I mean, whatever I can end up doing to inform them. the, the re, and, I, and I'm not patting myself on the back to say, hey, I got the biggest number. What I did is I had a place that cigar, cigar consumers was listening to, and I got to tell them over and over and over, this is what's going on, and this is what they need. You're off $35. And you yeah. know what? They'll send you some cigars. Please go on there, do that. And I would do it and they would see a spike that would end up happening. And it was only because they were uneducated. They were ignorant that this thing existed. Right. So it it takes not just my show, but it takes Cigar Pulpit too, that you bring these things up. Uh, It's 
you know, we're trying to provide entertainment and fun and everything, but if you can throw some of these important things in here for all of us, this is, I say to the consumer too, you think I'm worried about this tax because I have to pay the tax? All I do is add it onto your pass bill. It on. yep. You have to pay the tax. Yeah. It's a pass on tax. So I'm fighting for you. Yeah. Right. Not for, it's me. You're going to be the one that ends up paying it. But again, if the tax goes up, less consumers may want the product or who knows what ends up happening. And as much as rising tides raise, raise the ships, it also can lower everybody too. So yeah. you just try to bring everybody up. Well, Dave, Nick and um, and Gator, they did a fantastic thing about a year ago. There was Max Cigar Shop out in uh, – out in, and I let Nick talk about it in, in Gator out in San Francisco area, Palo Alto, Stanford area. And uh, they were under uh, duress from, the, from their uh, local authorities – and there on their show, they started uh, a drive out to their customers to write letters. Nick, you want to talk a little bit yeah, about that? So Max Smoke Shop out in Palo Alto, they were facing a uh, city council that was putting a flavor ban on on tobacco, and it, and it was it was mo- it, it impacted tobacco, but it was aimed, I think, primarily at vaping, and tobacco ended up getting caught up in it. And where Max was having an issue was n- the vape to a degree. But they said, we'll give up vape tomorrow if that's what they want. It, where it was impacting them was um, some premium cigars, but mostly pipe tobacco. And, you know, they ended up doing doing what they could. But then the city council moved up the meeting by an hour to where I know Gator tried to get on to the, uh, to the Zoom in order to talk during public comment. But by the time he got on, public comment was already over because they moved the meeting time up by an hour and they ended up ramming it through. And I know Max is in the process of trying to uh, or is is doing a lawsuit and all this other stuff. But, you know, they've they've since expanded. I believe they brought alcohol sales into their shop in order to try and and make up some of that lost revenue. But they've been there a hundred years, Dave, a hundred years. Yeah. Wow. And uh, Gator, you want to well, tell them about you? uh Started to get on, uh, like like Nick was saying, he started to get in the public comment period. It was done in advance. We were all writing letters. But, Dave, we didn't know these people at all, and Nick and Gator <coughs> brought it up on their show. I felt uh, uh, inspired to write a letter to the city council. The shop thanked us, the people, the owners out there. And they were just so gracious, and they were just under attack from the local government. Yeah. And I think the thing that I learned from that was – if you speak out, this industry is so um, understands, and you'll get some people like Glenn came down to help us. I know you help people. These guys helped others. I think if they see something, as soon as they hear, for those that are listening out there, if as soon as they hear that there's some action that's being taken against our industry, start speaking up, and and you will find some like-minded people that will come in and help you with, uh, will help you in, in writing letters or maybe some advice or or whatever. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, that's one of the things with uh, Max, and I know uh, Nick kind of spoke to this, but with Max uh, Smoke Shop, it was basically like they had these like proprietary blends that they'd been doing for pipe tobacco for years and years and years. And all of a sudden, they were just going to be done. You can't sell this anymore. Because of the flavor uh, definition or whatever. Yeah, it was it was so to me, the law was so poorly written that it basically basically encompassed a lot of products that I don't necessarily think the people that were intending to do this thought it was going to bring in, but they sure didn't stop it when they realized. Didn't they find somebody yeah. that came in and testified 
kind of wrongfully so that uh, that their uh, uh, that one of their uh, underage uh, children, children went plate. in there and bought from there, and then they they went back and looked at their videotape, and nobody had been there. I mean, it, it got into that level of yeah. of kind of uh, drama and intrigue, but it's yeah. awful, and some of it. Some of it becomes ignorance because even the, you know, not every one of the politicians is a dirt bag, although it's hard to believe, you know, a lot of them are. <laughs> but um, I found, um, it, and we're very lucky here in New Hampshire that our, our senators make $100 a year. Yeah. And we have 400 congressmen. They don't make anything. We have Massachusetts was, was a whole different thing, the career politicians and stuff like that. But I find that. Um, you know, we know about cigars. They don't know about cigars and they don't realize uh, that one thing doesn't have to do with the other and that pipe tobacco is not roll your own cigarettes. It's a different product. Yeah. And and that the an 18 year old kid, a 15 year old kid isn't going in to buy pipe tobacco, nor is he going to buy a cigar. And if it's a cigar, it's not a real cigar. It's a cigar for other reasons. You know, the stuff you buy in drugstores that empty the tobacco out right. so you can put – it's a marijuana delivery system is what it is. Yeah, and yeah. this education portion of it – so what we try to end up doing, especially when, again, here comes January and a new Congress comes in in our state, that we try to go and preempt the strike and start the education that they don't know. And we're the Cigar Association of New Hampshire, and I don't know if you know who we are and what we do – and this is the product that we sell and why this is different than that product. And it doesn't matter, Democrat, Republican, it doesn't matter. Here, we're just going to show you, just so you understand who it is. And sometimes they say, listen, I'm never going to vote uh, for you because um, my grandfather died of smoking. He smoked five packs of cigarettes a day. And I'm like, again, now you don't understand why this is different than that. And you are assuming this is that. The whole vape thing, that was another thing that, they tried to say vape and cigarettes is, is the same product also, and uh, that's not the case. What I'm fearful right now of is federally, the Jenkins Act, I don't know if you paid attention to I, You to did this. an entire after show about this, and, and this was great. This yeah, was great. I listened to that, but please share that with everybody. I thought it was great. Yeah. Scary, All right, too. So the, it is. It is, because um, <clears throat> this just happened, and it's taking effect in 90 days. And there is no uproar over it. Nobody's saying anything, but I can see doomsday happening uh, to this effect that um, because th that person that's doing the pipe tobacco, can he flavor type tobacco that he cannot sell in his own state or his own city? Can he sell it to other states? Can he go mail order with that product? Uh, I think no, right? It's You, you, you told us on, uh, on the after show that was going to be prevented, right? Well, that will be permitted, but right now, that's how some people uh, are at least selling uh, out of state, uh, like especially New York people are doing right now that they sell out of state because New York got a 75% tax yeah. that just went into effect. Uh, and yeah. they're looking for 120, by the way. And that's what happens. Wow. You know, they go from 30%. They get they get the okay for seventy five. They go to seventy five before the seventy five even took effect. They're looking at one twenty. So this is what ends up uh, going on with this. So Crazy. what's next? What's next? Uh, Jenkins Act says that you cannot ship tobacco products over state borders. Uh, all tobacco products except cigars, and that's how it always worded. And I always wondered. You know, I looked at it in 1985 saying this and saying, 
you know, why accept cigars that they do? And I love it that it's accept cigars. Yeah. But somebody someday is going to say something about this. And that day just happened um, with this COVID-19 bill that went out there, 5,500 pages. Well, one of the pages uh, says that you cannot now ship any nicotine delivery system across state borders and including vape and vape-like products, except cigars, it still says. Now, we are broken up in the, in the cigar industry with premiums and non-premiums. We're broken up in the tobacco industry with cigarettes, cigars, and vape. And we're broken up in every aspect that, you know, one segment will throw the other segment down the hole to save their segment. Mm -hmm. And that this has been going on for years and years. Uh, and some of them that own some of each. When Philip Morris owned Nat Sherman, they threw the premium cigar industry down the toilet um, in a, in a, in a, uh, in a, in a written form. Um, and that's what they did. And, and that's what's going on. And I'm very, very worried that the next step becomes, um, okay, we're going to put a line through the except cigars and then cigars become a non over the tack, over the state border. Now I'm a brick and mortar retailer. And as I, as I say on the show, um, here, we have two guys cigars, but it, please support your brick and mortar retailer. Right. If he j just doesn't happen to have this one and you want to try it, yeah, go, go get it. But if he has it, please don't buy it from me, buy it from them uh, and pay the little extra if there's a tax in that state or something, but keep the brick and mortar cigar shop alive. That may go away. And if it goes away, there's 4,000 cigar stores in the United States. Those 4,000 cigar stores aren't going to fight to make it not happen either. Right. Because it's in their best interest to happen. Again, we're divided. And that's, there's a good possibility of, of that happening because we're so divided of it. And yes, it is going to end up helping me in the long run. And it's going to help you, Dan, if it happens in the long run. But it's not good. No. Because they come for them and they come for us after. Right. 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 No, I, I hear you, David. Wouldn't it also drive the price up? Because if 60% of the cigars, correct me if I'm wrong, but if 60% plus of the cigars are being sold on the internet, these guys got to, the, the manufacturers got to fill in that, that revenue somehow or another. So my guess is they're going to have to, we'll pick up some of that volume, probably lose some customers along the way. I don't see it as a good thing for anybody. I really do. I think it's better to coexist. I mean, it would not be a bad thing for the uh, internet people to have to pay the local state tax that they're shipping to. Amen. I think that's probably reasonable, maybe. But yeah. but to make it go away, I'm, I'm not a fan to make it go away because it, it creates less cigar smokers, and also they're going to have to jack up the prices to the brick and mortars, as I see it. Is that, am I looking at it right? You're 100% right because, you know, a, a beef factory has to make hot dogs and sausages too. Yeah. And they can't just make prime rib. And these hot dogs of cigars – the bulk of this stuff is what is sold online. If you think every single online brand, even though it has the brand name on it, you know, and it says it's their seconds or their, uh, this is a bundle they just made yeah. for us or whatever. These, this is the hot dogs of the cigar industry. Not that it's a bad cigar. It's going to burn and the price is right. And, and you're not getting ripped off by any means or anything, but don't think it's the same cigar that's on, mm. on the uh, premium cigar shelf because it's not. And if you think I'm wrong, go and get some and, Go do the side-by-side -side comparison because I've done it. I like doing this kind of stuff to see is this the same as that. And uh, so I've done the education on it, and I know 
know better. Plus, I know the manufacturers, and yeah. you know, I ask them, and they go, "Oh, this is just the stuff." That, it's not you know, the same. I've done a back to back in my brother's garage, and and it. Uh, I won't mention the name, but it, it was. And I finally talked to the rep, and he goes, "Yeah, it's not the same tobacco." Kind of back to follow yeah. the, follow the tobacco. Hey, Dave. Um, but oh, go ahead. But I'm they sorry. need to make they need to make those cigars. Yeah, because they're getting paid for those cigars, and that's going to keep the or, or the price of. Our cigar has to go up. If they're not making hot dogs, they have to make just filet mignon. Then the price of filet mignon is going to go through the roof. Yeah. Hey, I have one question going back to the point you were making regarding um, uh, striking out except cigars. And you, I believe you have pointed out before that Maryland has instituted their state tobacco tax on online sales, correct? Yes. Okay. So, do you think it's more likely that the federal government strikes except cigars, or do you think it's more likely that in this day and age of COVID, and you have fifty states that are all scrambling to find as much revenue as they can get, are going to start imposing that state uh, state tobacco tax and and trying to do that first? Well, that's a that's another option. That's a state level. Yeah. That the state can say. This is what we say. Now, we saw that with under 21 that went to 18. Yeah. A whole bunch of states went from uh, 21, I mean, from 18 to 21. Sure. And it was a fight statewide, statewide, statewide. In New Hampshire, we were okay. We, we were still at 18, and we were fighting and fighting. And then the federal government went to 21, and then the next day, the state of New Hampshire went to 21. Yeah. It didn't matter anyway at that point. Um, so, you know, maybe right now it's going state by state that way. And then all of a sudden the federal government comes in and says, the ones that are holding out of something, here we go. Boom. It it happens to all of us. I don't know, you know, just based on historical, just like it happened. It was just a year ago when the federal government went, uh, to 21. Um, here we are now, uh, knowing that education that that just happened, uh, you live through it now. Uh, doesn't it seem to make sense that Maryland is going to say, no, you can't go in here. California will say you can't. And then next thing you know, the federal government says, okay, we're going to do it. So sometimes people will say, oh my God, how did you see this coming? This, This is exactly how I see it coming because the last time it happened like this, most likely educated guess, that's what's going to end up happening. Well, I'm just, what my point though is more that, you know, you have these big online guys and, you know, I could name one as an example, and I, but I won't. But, you know, like for if you have one of these big online cigar broker retailers, whatever you want to call them, that maybe they could still service all 50 states and still ship to all 50 states, but they have to account for each state's different tax. You know what I mean? And then I, I guess it, it, I guess the big I, guys can. I guess my the big point, guys can. You say it. I'm sorry. You say it a lot. You got to follow the money. And I used yeah. to work in politics in uh, the People's Republic of Illinois, so I know you know all about. They're always looking for their cash grab, and it's one of those things where I could see that maybe the states kind of like you know impl- implement that that state tobacco tax. Thus, raising that price for those online cigars to where now it's a level playing field for the online guys and the brick and mortar guys at the state level, 
and then maybe they need these individual general assemblies all lobby their their congressmen and their senators and say, hey, maybe leave that alone because we're making X amount of revenue off of that. And if you prevent the shipment from, let's say, Pennsylvania into Illinois, um, we're going to lose X amount because I mean, because realistically, these online guys aren't going to have 50 distribution sites around the country, one per state. You know what I mean? Right. You see kind of what I'm getting. I guess I'm just trying to figure out like what what do you see as more likely the the just full striking of it or you know maybe a maybe a cash grab or maybe well, one and then eventually the, another. That's the Wayfair Act, right? So Wayfair, uh, they say Wayfair has to now, even though they don't have a presence within every state, has to pay the sales tax which in every state when they ship into there. So uh, that that happened first. So when I saw that happen, I said, oh, uh, that's first the first step. We have the sales tax, which maybe it's 6% in your, in your state. But maybe your state is a 30% tobacco tax. When they end up, and this is going to be a prime year right now that they're going to look, and, and no state has the money exactly. they thought they were going to have, right? They start looking and saying, we don't have any money. Jeez, we, we received... Six percent tax from all these mail order companies. What else do we have out there? Oh, tobacco tax, and people are mail ordering that in. And our tobacco tax is thirty percent in New York's situation, seventy five percent. Yeah. Oh my God, we can get seventy five percent. Let me tell you, right now the online guys, I would say, aren't eating up fifty percent of New York. They're probably closer to ninety percent of New York cigar sales, right? It's 75%. Right, yeah. So, you know, you got Cuomo over there looking for dollars and cents and stuff, and you could, I can imagine him doing that and then call Biden up and say, you know, ease up on it. We we need the money. That, that you know, And that's, just exact, like you're saying. And that's precisely yeah. my point, is that all these yeah. states are going to be dying for revenue, and that's, I mean, let's be lo- real honest, it's low-hanging fruit for all of them if they actually take the time to look at it. And that would be good for the, the idea of mail order. The mail order for me, the idea of it, and I call it mail order because that's, it wasn't internet sales and now it's online sales. Yeah. Or something, but I still say um, the idea of that was when my customer moved away and he was going to retire. He's moving to Florida. And I said to him, oh, just call me up if you need anything because I didn't want to lose the customer. Precisely. But you, you lose your customer if your customer dies, he moves away, or he goes to your competitor, or he quits cigar smoking. That's what ends up happening. So I tried to save everyone I can. I can't stop the guy from dying, but if he moves away, let me let me hang on to him um, and, and say, okay, we have a little mail-order presence. And it started with just a phone call. Then it started with a little uh, flyer that I would put out. And then it started with the online as it went on. And I'm certainly not the best at online sales at all. I was just trying to keep the customer I ended up happening, having. And boy, it worked out good during COVID-19 that I was able to save my business while it was going on. But I would be okay with if the, it was a level playing field because I don't want the sales from a New York, a poor New York cigar store that has 75% tax. And I take his customer because he's at such a disadvantage that he loses out to me. That's not how I want to win this game. And, um, if, uh, but if it became level playing field and I had to pay 50 tobacco taxes per month, I had to do 50 tax returns per month 
times 12 months a year. Yeah. I wouldn't even need a team of tax attorneys or tax preparers every single month to end up doing it. I don't think the little online guy could even do it. And now you're monopolizing just the giants to be able to do it. So what happens in that in that scenario? I don't know. Uh, but I, I just can't fathom 50. I do, I do my tax return once a year. I can't fathom 50 of them a month. Oh my God. Yeah. Back to that bridge. Back to that bridge, Dan. I'm ready yeah. to jump. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Dave, uh, I um, you're in a lot of different businesses. You're in almost every aspect of the industry, and I applaud you for that. And I know it took time over uh, decades to do that. But I was in Tennessee. My um, aunt had passed away, and I was down there for a funeral. And on my way back, I stopped at the Nashville Cigar Company. Uh, real nice guy that owned it. I don't know his name, but he was a really a super guy. And my brother, my mom, and I, and we sat there, and we had a cigar, and I got my first Atabay cigar experience. Oh, my God, it was probably the best cigar I've ever had. And could you talk a little bit about, you know, your involvement, what is your role in that, and and um, and, and and a little bit about the Atabay cigar, So because, oh, my God, it is just an unbelievable uh, experience. I had the Byron as well, but I'll tell you what, the Byron is, is off the charts, more fuller body, but that Atabay was it's just probably one of the, I still think about it. I'll always think about it. My first Atabay down there in Nashville, sitting in that beautiful lounge. And it's just tremendous. And I know, I understand that anybody that gets an Atabay uh, goes through you, right? You have the, the distribution rights for that. And you're the one that's yeah. uh, doing it. And it's just, it's just a tremendous cigar. Uh, kind of a, I call it like a, like a, a celebratory cigar, you know, for somebody, a lot of people can't smoke it every day. My God, if you can get your hands on it, it's a tremendous experience. It is. And uh, I'll tell you, what first drove me to Atabay was Rocky Patel, of all people. And I was at the trade show, and I was at Rocky's booth, and I placed a big order with him, and I was chatting with him. And he said, hey, Dave, did you go over to that booth over there with the big black curtain? And I said, no. He says, you of all people have to go over there. Wait till you see these cigars. And for Rocky Patel to drive somebody over to see a different cigar. Yeah. First off, you know, and I've known Rocky Patel since the day he started. And uh, I'm like, wow, okay. So I left that booth and that's, I dotted right over to there because uh, I was very, very curious where one manufacturer is sending you over to see another manufacturer. So I went over, I saw the cigar, uh, beautiful packaging. Oh my God, it was unbelievable. But I look at my watch and I have another appointment. So the guy's talking to me and I said, listen, I got to run. I got to go uh, to another appointment. And as soon as I finish there, I'm going to come back and hear the rest of the story. And uh, he says, would you like one to try? And I said, sure. And I lit the cigar up and I said, oh, my God, this is this is unbelievable. I'll be back. I said, by the way, how much is this cigar? And he said, $30. And the rest of the people that were in the booth left when I said that. Oh, <laughs> and I said, I am so sorry. And he said, well, it had to be said sometime. I said, I'll be back in 30 minutes. So I went to the next booth I went and they said, here, let us, let me let you try a cigar, of course. Yeah. And I said, no, no, I'm smoking this one. I'll try it later. Thank you. And I almost wasn't paying attention to the, what the guy was saying as I was smoking the cigar, because it was, I, I've smoked all cigars, every cigar. And this was truly unique to me, the flavors. I didn't know where it was coming from. This was something different that I never had before. I finished up. I went over to him and, um, it was their um, distributor, the U.S. distributor. And I said, um, I want to order these cigars. And he said, okay. 
And I said, I, I have three stores. I want to put them in all three stores. And he said, if you're going to put them in all three stores, I'll give you the exclusive to the state of New Hampshire. And I said, you know who I am? And he said, yeah, I know who you are. Cause I didn't know who he was. <laughs> and, um, I said, well, I don't want any exclusive. I'm, I'm the opposite of exclusive because I told you the story of what happened to me when I was in Boston. Right. And I would never, I would never do that to somebody else. And I said, no, no, I don't want exclusivity, but I do want that cigar. I bought the cigars. I came back and I had to tell my staff, this is what's coming in. And everybody said, you're crazy. And they came in and they said, oh my God, you're crazy. This is going to sell. Nobody ever heard of it and anything. And I said, well, you got to light the cigar up, have a cigar, see what this is about, because not very many things turn my head to that right. degree. I'm at a trade show. I'm smoking a lot of different cigars. This was a standout to me. After about a year or so, the, um, the distributor who was based out of California gave me a call and said, me and the owner of that brand, so um, the company, Selected Tobacco, which was Byron Atabay, and they had a third brand, Bandolero, which I didn't even carry. Uh, they want to come up and, and see you. We want to come up and see you. And I said, well, it's December in New England, <laughs> and you probably want to wait till maybe April or so. And they said, no, no, we want to come up. I said, well, where's he from? And he said, he's from Cuba. I said, and you're from California. Why don't you wait till April? <laughs> and they said, no, no, we want to come up. And they came up and um, they wanted to come see each store. And I took them around to each store and they came back to my office and they said, well, we thought maybe you were selling these to other people because you sell more Atabay and Byron cigars than everybody else in the United States combined. Wow. And I was doing it for one year. And I said, this is the best cigar I ever smoked. Yep. And now I know the story behind each cigar. And I said, it is an unbelievable cigar. And um, I believe in it. I love the cigar. And the man that owned Selected Tobacco, Nelson Alfonso, said in front of the distributor, well, I would like you to become the distributor and sell the cigar to the other stores. And here's the, they're both sitting at my desk. And I, I look at the distributor and I said, no, no, no. I said, you know, he kind of spoke broken English. And I said, you sell to him and then he sells to me. And he says, I want to just sell to you. And I said, no, no, no. I said, I buy it from him. That's how it works. And he says, I know how it works. In other words, I'm not stupid. I understand how this works. Right. He says, but I just want to sell it to you. And I said, no. And he said, no, I want you to do that. And the, I looked at the other guy and I said, no, no, don't worry about it. I said, um, no, I'm not interested at all. And I, he, I, and um, the other guy said, listen, if you want to do it, he said, what Nelson tells me is when the, um, the embargo lifts from Cuba, because he handles all the Cuban brands, he's the one that created Bahique for Cohiba uh, wow. and does all their different cigars for them. Uh, when he's able to end up leaving there, which will be when the embargo is over, he is going to take the, the company himself and do his own distribution. So I'm only a placeholder for, for that. And uh, to be honest with you, it takes a lot of my time and blah, blah, blah. It's yours if, if you want it. And I said, no, I don't want it. And Nelson said, well, Stephen, the, the guy that was a distributor, is leaving tomorrow. I would like to stay an extra day 
and talk you into it. And I said, stay if you want. I said, I'm not, not only am I not interested, it's not what I do. I said, I sell cigars to consumers. And he said, you have this United Cigar Company. And I think it's the perfect place for it to go. United Cigar is United Cigar Retailers. And it was an organization I put together where retailers met virtually. And I'm going back 10 years ago. And we met virtually every other week. And we brought in educators to help us learn about marketing, um, proper displays, merchandising, um, just anything that would help us out as brick-and-mortar retailers. And we had this, group, this small group of people that bought into this thing where we would all meet and try to get together. And I went to trade shows each year with United Cigar for three years in a row and stood there and talked to retailers but could not get people. I, at the height of it, I think I got 10 or – I mean uh, 12 or 15 uh, was the height right. of the amount of retailers I could get involved. And he said, you could distribute it through those retailers. And it's a very small brand, he said. And um, if nobody buys it, and you're the only one that buys it, you're 50% of the business anyway. And I said, I really don't, I wouldn't do a good job for you. And he said, would you stand at the trade show booth with me and show the brand? That's all I ask of you. And I said, I got to think about it. And he said, you'll get a discount buying the brand because you're the distributor. So you're going to save money just on the brand, the ones you sell yourself. And if you sell no more, that's okay because he is right that if I am the embargo listed, I'm able to leave. This is my family's business. That's what we're going to do. We're going to have a business in the United States because I'm not allowed to sell this brand anywhere but the United States because he works for Habanos and they don't want a direct competitor anywhere so that he's not allowed to sell it where they sell Cuban cigars. So I said, uh, let's talk about it. We talked about it and I said, okay. So for a couple of years, I stood at the booth with him. And when somebody would come over and said, I'm going to think about it. Will you give me a call? I would say to him, no, uh, you buy it now or never. No one's going to call you. You will get no follow-ups. There are no reps. There's nobody that comes to see you. Uh, you'll come see me again next year. And the guy would laugh, leave the booth, and then next year come over and said, you weren't kidding. I never heard <laughs> from you. And I said, no. I said, if you want to buy it, buy it. If you don't, I said, I'm a retailer like you. I got business to do, and I'm not going to call you and ask you again. I'm standing here because I promised them I would stand here. Uh, if you want to buy it, buy it. If you don't, that's okay. And um, we got a few more accounts, but it was nothing really. So somebody who was handling um, Casa, um, Casa Fuente, in, in, uh, he, he started that Casa Fuente in Las Vegas. Yeah. The cigar bar that's there. Um, and he worked for the Fry Boys, and he put together um, that lounge, uh, their store, along with – uh I think a, a Potagus store um, and some different things created brands and all this. Well, he originally lived in New England and he moved down there for maybe 10 years and worked there. And he came up and he became a customer of mine and said, Oh, I used to be in the cigar business and we used to have this and this and this. And I would be talking to him. And one day he said to me, if you're ever looking for help, I'd be interested. And I said, well, yeah, come up and let's talk. So we went in the office and talked, and I said, what do you want to do? 
And he said, I want to work for Two Guys Smoke Shop. I said, really? And just wait on customers and be a salesman? And he said, yeah. I said, I think you're way past that. I, with, you know, looking at this resume and all talking to you, all the things you did, I said, did you ever hear a United Cigar? And like everybody else, his answer was no, because I stood at a trade show that he didn't go to. And that was the only time you'd ever see United Cigar. And uh, I said, here's the story of it. And um, I don't do much with it. It grows a little teeny bit, but at least I have Atabay and Byron and Bandolero now. So I got what I wanted out of it, but it's going nowhere. I'd give you a job. You handle this completely. That's all you do. And uh, it's yours. Run with it. Let me know how things are going. But I have an online business, three retail stores, property management. Um, I own lots of cigar brands myself. I got a lot of stuff going on. And I can't give this this much time. I just can't. And um, I'm not getting, you know, Nelson Alfonso, who's selected back, isn't crying to me he isn't saying anything but i'm a guy that likes to you know overperform do better than they would expect so he ended up taking a job all over nouveau i said okay you're in charge of united cigar and uh i talked with him every once in a while up i got more time with him this year with COVID 19 going on than he was actually <laughs> stuck in new england he lives about an hour and a half away from the store so it's not like he's around the corner either but uh he came up to see me a bunch of times this year and uh, I got to know him a little better because he's been with me for four or five years now. Yeah. Um, but he he runs the show. Uh, I buy cigars like everybody else. And um, do I profit from it? Absolutely. Um, and do I have 50% of the sales of Atabay? Not anymore, I'm happy to say, <laughs> uh, which is good good for Nelson Alfonso because I felt bad. that It, it, it was mostly me buying, buying the cigar and that was it. And uh, – that's a brand, all his brands. Those are brands that need to be out there. People need to know about it. Oh, yeah. There's been zero, zero advertising, zero promotion, and a one-man show. It was just, it's just all of it that's out there. So I'm happy to say as of January 1st, uh, he picked up a rep in the Washington State area, and he picked up a rep in New England, which is where he lives, but he was never around to be able to even right. see the people in New England, and just picked up a rep in Florida. So um, that just happened. These people are, are green. They're, they're, they're new to United Cigar and Selected Tobacco, um, but they have those brands along with some of my own that I had for years that I always created brands that I needed as a retailer. Um, something that didn't exist that I needed there. So we put those things in the mix and, um, he's got a little, little business. He does, uh, he's happy. You know, I, I just had a meeting with him at the first of the year to make sure he was happy and, um, you know, he's compensated correctly and he, he grows with means he makes more money as he grows and he seems very happy and I'm happy. And, um, Nelson Alfonso is happy because his sales have doubled up and doubled up and doubled up since all of it took over. So uh, now our problem is actually supply like everything else. Yeah. Wow. That's great. Hey, um, it's a great cigar and I recommend anybody try it if they can get their hands on it. Dave, regarding the reps, I know you have your prediction show coming up here and this year with sales going up, let's say 20% or 50%, whatever it was at the manufacturer level, um, it was primarily done without the reps stopping by the stores. And I know, you know, you've got some um, cigar companies out there, very famous like Padron and things like that, that operate 
without the rep model. And I would hate to see this happen because I tend to buy more cigars when the reps come by and it's a real civilized way, as you know better than I do, to sit and have a cigar with the guys and talk about life and cigars and everything and buy some cigars. And it, they become your friends and buddies. I sure hope nothing happens to the rep model uh, going forward and somebody sits here and says, wow, we sold more cigars than we ever have. We didn't have our reps out on the road. Um, is that is that something that we can um, can we stay with this model going forward? And I don't know if you have any thoughts or ideas or plan on talking about that later, but I was interested in what your thoughts were. I, I would hate to see that that uh, institution within the industry of the cigar rep and somebody saying, you know what, I'll just I'll just go a year without my reps and and uh, and if sales continue to go up, then um, so be it. I'll go away like the dinosaur, and I sure hope that doesn't happen. Dan, you're 100% right. Uh, I see it. I've heard from some manufacturers that uh, we saw some of them do it um, that didn't before. You know, right. the drone's always done that. But we see uh, a, a few companies actually make that move already. Um, relationship business is what this is. I, I hear it all the time. People say it. They say it because it's true that we build a relationship and a friendship. Um, it's unlike buying a cotton of cigarettes Cotton of Marlboro. Right. Um, you, you know, I know Nick Perdomo. And if you go to a trade show, you'll know Nick Perdomo too. Yes. And Rocky Patel. And we know these, we know these big guys in the cigar industry, but they all started like us. They started little and they grew their company. Yeah. And it is, these are family companies, right. every single one of them. And um, it, sometimes they're not available to you. And the rep is. And some of these reps, you know, grew up with me, yeah. you know, uh, all these years. And sometimes they leave one and they go to the other. And then when they go to the other, I buy the new brand that ends up coming on because I like them. Right. Um, and I hope that the manufacturer realizes that, that, that um, the thing is, nobody was on the road right now. So it was a level playing field. There was nobody on the road. Now, if you say, I don't need a rep because... I did good and there was nobody on the rep. Congratulations to you because you have a strong brand that did it. Yeah. But other people are going to keep their rep. And if you don't have a rep and they do have a rep, you are going to drop. You're going to be out of my mind, out yeah. of sight, out of mind. And I need a rep. Uh, listen, I get the stuff on the computer system and I hit a button and the sales come out. He doesn't have to count the cigars for me or anything right. like that. But I need to be reminded. I'm getting older now. I need to be reminded of the new product, what I'm not carrying, what's hot, what am I missing, what are the trends going on, and when I when I a rep comes in, I'm happy to see a rep when he ends up coming in. He's going to get the order of what he's going to get an order. He's going to try to sell me what I'm not selling. I understand that that's part of his job, but also he needs to educate me on what I don't know about this product. He is a representative. That's what a rep is, a representative of the brand. Without that representative and I'm a, you know, a, here's United Cigar. It was all of the Nouveau only. I'm telling you, this year, as of January 1st, we have three reps now. Right. So I'm doing the opposite. You're moving if in the opposite direction. Yeah. Correct. And I heard other people are doing the same thing. There's some people, when they zig, you zag, right? I think this is a strong opportunity that some people are getting rid of their reps to double up on them and get them out there because they can go out and get the shelf space of the guy that doesn't have a rep. 
at this point. And that, that's what may happen. There is a value to representatives that are out there. They work very, very hard. I always thought I wanted to be a representative till I got to no one really good. Just like the guy sitting in the lounge that thinks he wants to own a cigar store. Yeah. I felt that way about reps until he told me how many miles he put on his car per year that he has to turn it in every two years because he's got 130,000 miles in his car. It's nights at cheap hotels. It's lonely times on the road. It's one place to the other. It's trying to make their numbers of what they do. They work very, very hard. They are the uncrowned heroes of the cigar industry. They are road warriors that do it, and they earn every dime that they get. Uh, are there lazy ones? Of course, there's good and bad and everything that, that are there, but there's some guys out there that, that put in their time and there is much of a part of that brand as the owner and the blender and the person to put that cigar together. And the, and the manufacturers need to know that. Yeah, without a doubt. I echo everything you said there. I mean, I know when we've lost a rep and they've been in between sales, you just forget about them. And unless some customers really screaming for that cigar you just move on into a different direction and so i think the value of the rep there is really really important and i would i'd hate to see uh one of the uh casualties of covid is that companies decide to operate without reps if they do i don't think they'll do it for very long i think they'll realize down the road they've got to go back and then then they've 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 missed that market share and and i think it would be a a a detriment to their business and to the industry in general and how did United Cigar get three reps? We're a very small company. The reps aren't throwing themselves at us because we got the hottest brand in the land. We got it because people are getting rid of their reps. So here's a great opportunity for a little cigar company to be able to get good representation, good people that are out there because they're looking for jobs. Yeah. So this is a if, if you're a little manufacturer out there, now's the time to end up trying to grab these guys because they're going to be there. Because before, you couldn't get them because the big guys got them. Wow, dude. This is literally so much fun to listen to. I know. I'm, I'm happy. You know, I got sitting there listening to it the first time. You know, I was captivated. I was interested. But at the same time, I was, you know, worried about the board and whether or not the Zoom connection was working right yep. and everything else. And so going back on it now, it's it's great because well, you're able to relax and to listen to it, relax yeah. and listen to it and fully absorb some of the information that's being handed out here and everything. And I'll tell you what, there's there's good information for everybody. How's your uh, Maduro from Long Ash there? It's good. I like it. It's a nice, creamy, you know, kind of earthy. Banduro. So yeah. they make good cigars down there at Long Ash and Ybor City. That's right. Tampa, Florida. Yeah. And I, on the other hand, am a little further up the uh, East Coast there, and I'm smoking a Martinez, Martinez from New York. So, Jeff, why don't the, we uh, go- 45, man. This, this cigar is going down nicely. It's the it, first one of the day. Wonderful, wonderful cigar. Well, Jeff, why don't we go ahead and jump into... Um, our new Friday segment of three cigars that we smoked this past week. Okay. Are you, are you ready? Oh, you know what? I am, actually. I, I can go first if you're not ready. No, no, no. I'm ready. Okay. Then go for it. The uh, Camacho Connecticut. That's a good one. Yeah. Good that's one. I, I've been picking those up over at uh, Riverman, and those are just outstanding. Mm-hmm. Yep. They've got... Well, <clears throat> I pick up on the Cedar... And they talk about citrus on it. I don't know if I necessarily get the citrus flavors, but there is a sweetness to it. Um, but the cedar really jumps out at me. It's real buttery, real creamy. I like the cigar. All right, then. 
you're up. All right, so my first one for this week is the uh, uh, Placencia Alma de, del Fuego, the Flama. Flama? Uh, it's a six and a half by 38. Um, so it's a real thin, almost Lancero cigar. This is the one that Dave from Martinez mentioned last week when we did mm. this segment. And he said that he had had the uh, the uh, Placencia like, um, Lancero thing. And, dude, this is a good cigar. And it's got a little pepper burst to the retro hail, but it was nice and smooth. I really liked it. Good deal. Yep. So good recommendation by Dave. Uh, I've got the Avo 2020. And I hate to say it, I don't have a lot of, like, information on this cigar. You just smoked that the other night. I, I Exactly. Mm-hmm. Actually, I smoked it. Okay, let's be... Fully transparent. I smoked it during the uh, interview with Dave. That's right. That was yeah. the one you were smoking while and we were And it was one that Dave. Dan had recommended to me, and yep. it's just an outstanding stick. Yeah. And it was about my, I hate to say this, it was probably my fourth cigar of the day at that point, and I had one more after. Um, we had two during the interview because, you know, it ran. Yeah, it ran so long yeah. we ended up having two cigars. Which wasn't the worst thing that could have happened Ew, that night, that's for sure. Least. But yeah, that, that Avo 2020, um, it's just a good stick. I mean, just a really good, solid cigar. Perfect. Well, my second one this week is one that was actually a recommendation from uh, Instagram user Claydo's Cigars. And uh, he had called into the Ask the Boys, and <clears throat> I had talked about my whole My Father Cigars thing, you know, and everything. And he recommended um, he recommended a few. And it was the Don Pepin Garcia Original. And I I've have, got I've got one of those I in the humidor of, right now. A few weeks back on his recommendation, yep. and I ended up smoking another one. And let me tell you, this one you got to buckle up, and um, you 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 also have to make sure you eat something if you're going to do retro hails on this cigar because yeah. it'll kick you square in the nuts. Yeah, I've got one sitting in there in the humidor. I haven't got the guts to smoke yet. Yeah. And last but not least, out of my three for this week. Uh, was the uh, Aladino Cameron. Mm. I also had that during the Fantastic. interview. And what a good cigar. And again, yeah. that would have been number five of the day for me. <laughs> and But the funny thing is I could pick out all the flavors. You know, it had, like, it didn't get lost in the, the sea of cigars that day. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that that's a fantastic cigar. It really is. I've seen it's at the top of some people's uh, list for the year. Wow. Yeah. It should be. I mean, I, it should be at least in consideration. Oh, absolutely. Definitely. Yeah, phenomenal. So my last one for this segment is the uh, Herrera Esteli by Drew Estate, the Toro. Um, I did the uh, Habano, and that came at the recommendation of Jody at the Hill Cigar Company. I was over there on um, Monday and working on the newspaper and just kind of doing stuff. And I'm, like, looking around the humidor, trying to figure out what I want. And Jody came in, and she's like, what are you looking for? I'm like, I don't really know. And she goes, what are you feeling like? And I'm like, a Habano. And so we kind of walked around, and she recommended a few things. And some I'd had already, like, very recently, and some I just wasn't quite feeling. And then she goes, what about the uh, the Herrera Esteli? She goes, that, that one's, like, you know, great, perfect standby Habano. And I'm like... Do it. Could you taste the Esteli? It was good, yeah. yeah. A little bit of Esteli. <laughs> so. I do love the Esteli. Yeah, I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, seems like a good time that we go ahead and visit with our friend uh, Broccoli Rob for Final Third Friday. Brock. Broccoli. Broccoli.
It's time for Final Third Friday with my man, Broccoli Robs. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today for the FinalThirdCigar.com Cigar of the Week. This is your man, Rob, affectionately known as Broccoli Rob, and today's worship begins and ends with Black Gold, an enlightened full-body cigar made in Nicaragua by 1502 Cigars. The Black Gold is blended using a sun-grown Maduro wrapper with a double binder and fillers from undisclosed Nicaraguan tobaccos. I'm smoking the 7x40 Lancero that dons a solid triple cap and a partially closed foot, allowing for a quick light-up and nice punch of flavor from the start. The Black Gold has a dark brown sun-grown Maduro wrapper that is slightly oily and has some tooth to it. The cold draw begins with notes of dark chocolate, earth, and hay. Upon light up, this cigar offers a perfect draw with billowing smoke, a nice burn line, and solid ash. The first third starts your journey with flavor notes of espresso, beef jerky, orange zest, earth, roasted almonds, with black pepper lingering on the tongue and through the retrohale. There's a whole lot going on right from the beginning here. The second third continues with the notes of coffee, orange zest, nut, and earth, with light spice on the tongue and present through the retro ale. The complexity of this cigar hits many of my favorite notes and construction is top notch. The final third does not disappoint with notes of espresso, citrus zest, earth, light mint, dried fruit, and black and red pepper on the tongue and through the retro ale. The Black Gold is a full body cigar with incredible complexity and near perfect smoking characteristic. A truly heavenly experience. I rated this cigar a 92, and every time I smoke one, I enjoy it even more. It's one of my new favorite finds of 2020, and one I always have in my normal rotation. At the Smoke Pit, we offer the 1502 Black Gold for $12.79 each for the Toro size, and have several other blends across their line of great cigars. The Smoke Pit, located at 221 West Main Street in downtown Greenwood, Indiana is an all-inclusive cigar lounge offering many boutique cigar brands along with many heritage brands bringing you one of the most unique selections in central indiana at a fair price come in today and enjoy our comfortable environment over a cigar and a great conversation with others who love the cigar culture you can follow me on instagram at final third cigar and also check out finalthirdcigar.com for full reviews of cigars and other cigar related content Have a great week, and remember to relax, stay smoky, and enjoy each cigar you smoke down to the brock. Until next time, cheers. I want to know how much he paid her to do that intro. Yeah, who is that? Mm -hmm. I don't even recognize the voice. It's the final third Friday, girl. It's delightful. It's the final third Friday, girl. It is delightful. Anyway. Yep. Well, thanks, Broccoli. We appreciate the uh, the review. We do. That was awesome. I love Broccoli. I miss him. Yeah. When when are they having the I open house? I don't know. House? We need to get over there and find out, though, because um, I want to do the uh, grand opening open house thing. Yeah, I want to go celebrate the new store. Exactly. I want to see the new store. Yeah. This, the, what's the name of the it? The Smoke Pit. Yep. They're just outside of Indianapolis. Exactly. I like Indianapolis. It's a fun place. It is. We went there. That was the second stop, final stop, on the Nick and Gator, uh, you know, 
Traveling Freak, freak show, show and Evangelical Cigar Revival. From last year, yeah. yeah. That was supposed to be the start of something, and it ended Turned up. Not to be the end. Yes. Yes, it did. So, uh, okay. So, normally on Friday, we have a selection from My Monthly Cigars. We do. And, you know, we had a little shipping troubles and whatnot. This month has kind of been all, like, snafu. Yeah. Now, we will have a selection from the box coming up this following Friday. Mm-hmm. So stay tuned for that, and we'll talk about what's in the box and everything like that. So, uh, but it, this is the point where I would ask you, what is my monthly cigars? My monthly cigars is a premium cigar subscription service where you can get a box of cigars sent to your door every month. Uh, they come in a variety of sizes. We get the Robusto box, which is four cigars for thirty dollars. They also have the El Presidente, which is eight cigars for fifty dollars. It's two of everything that's in the Robusto box, so it's good for sharing. And both of them are covered by the MSRP guarantee, which states that the value of the cigars within the box is guaranteed to meet or exceed the price of the box. Um, and if you use offer code PULPIT, P-U-L-P-I-T. that gets you free shipping on your first box, but it also gets you 20% off any of the items in Nick's online store, because he's got an online store where he sells cigars, accessories, and all kinds of other fun stuff. MyMonthlyCigars.com. There you go. And how do folks reach out to us on the socials? We are on Instagram at The Cigar Pulpit, as well as at Naked Gator, N-E-K-K-I-D Gator. That is my page. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. You can reach out to us through CigarPulpit.com. And guys, make sure you get your questions in for Ask the Boys by calling the Cigar Pulpit hotline at area code 863-874-0000. Doesn't have to be questions about cigars. It can be questions about anything. Now, everybody remember to stay tuned for Tuesday. Yes. Because we're going to have part two of this interview with Dave Garofalo. Yes. Uh, really hosted, for the most part, by Dan the Man Ponder over at Riverman Cigar we kinda, Company. We kind of shift in the back back half of this interview a little mm-hmm. bit. You know, it kind of uh, we kind of start to talk about a few other things. You're going to get more insight onto uh, the podcast side of, of Dave's world. You're also going to get to hear my recommendation to add to the Cigar Authority flavor wheel. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, but anyway, so yeah, you're gonna there's there's a little bit more on the podcast side in the bat in the second part of this interview. So guys, um, stay tuned for the second part of the interview coming to you on Tuesday. 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 Well, Jeff. Got anything else for the good of the cause? Hallelujah. There you go. Well, guys, this has been another sermon from the Cigar Pulpit. I'm Nick. I'm Gator enjoying his Martinez 45. Stay safe and stay smoky, everybody. ever wonder if bob saget listens to us no i bet he does i'm fairly confident he doesn't I bet he does eh. i mean teddy's thrown it in his face enough it's true i mean shoot i reach out now and then you really shouldn't <laughs>